Tonight's reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. I've lost the page now. Chapter 12, starting at verse 11, I think it was. Sorry, page is gone. Yeah, um, sorry, page 1153, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Thanks very much, Catherine. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Do keep 1 Corinthians 12 open. As David said, we've been working our way through this magnificent letter. It's had loads to teach us about who we are as church, and uh, we need God's help to understand uh, tonight's passage. So we're going to pray now and ask him for that. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do indeed pray that you would show us Christ this evening. Please show us who we are in Christ, and please... Lord, use your word by your spirit to conform us more to the image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago on holiday, we visited the Titanic exhibition in a place called La Cité de la Mer in Cherbourg in northern France. Now, the Titanic ship uh, famously departed from Southampton in 1912 
Uh, but I didn't realize it actually stopped in Cherbourg in France and then in Ireland before making the trek across the Atlantic. Uh, and uh, in the exhibition, you can explore what it was like to be a passenger, be it first class, second class, or third class. Uh, there was quite a difference in those experiences. You can also watch quite a moving timed film where you're just in the shoes of the captain looking out to sea. And it's sort of sped up, and it leads to the collision with the iceberg and all the response following that as the disaster unfolded. It's often times of crisis that expose what people actually believe about responsibility, about community, and about independence. Uh, even in a disaster where a community is quite literally all in the same boat, there was a range of responses. Everything from those who ensured that women and children went first to those who just looked after number one. Since then, our Western world has become even more individualistic. So from many directions, we're told that the way to get on in life is to prioritize ourselves as individuals over and above any group that we belong to, any community that we belong to. We're encouraged to be independent, to be our own person, not to form too strong bonds with other people, to be self-sufficient, to be able to say, when you achieve something, I did that on my own, I made that on my own. I got to where I am by myself. To admit that you've depended on somebody else is seen by many as a weakness today, not a strength. And we're encouraged, too, to maintain a sense of freedom in our lives, to make sure we don't wind up with too many responsibilities or obligations. Now, it's very easy for these cultural ways of thinking and behaving to influence how the church community thinks and behaves, unless we're really alive to those influences and actually a we're more alive as a community to, to God's word and his gospel. And this is true whether we're in 21st century Banstead or in 1st century Corinth. In their world, status was very important. Being important was very important. Having influence was very important. Being somebody that other people looked up to was important. And so the church back then and we as church today are addressed with these wonderful verses about who we truly are as God's new community established by his grace, what our new life together looks like and should look like. We've been distracted by General Kitchener's moustache, I think. He's, he's made an early appearance. Did you notice, first of all, before we look at his moustache, um, look at what the most repeated word is in that first paragraph that, that Catherine... Uh, read for us in verses 12 to 14. Let me read them again, see if you can spot it. What's the most repeated word? Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many." What's the repeated word? One. Excellent. So, church, we are one. That is who we are. The body of Christ is one. Church is not a club for people who merely share a common interest. Church is the body of Christ. We are bound together in Christ as 
one body. There is unity, but that doesn't make us all the same. That would be uniformity. We're not meant to all look the same or be from the same backgrounds or experiences of life. No, verse 14 says, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. There's unity, but not uniformity. Each individual member is is valued for who they truly are. And verse 13 teaches us that this oneness, it, it stems from our common experience of the Spirit of God. It comes from our sharing in the, the new birth and new life that the Spirit gives through faith in Jesus. This new identity being the body of Christ, well, it transcends all other identities and divisions that our world might use and labels that it might put on different groups of people. So in the Corinthians day, uh, there were a few big ones. Uh, so Paul mentions two here in verse 13. He says, look, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So the message is that those things that the world say divide people should not divide people in the church. Any hint that we're using worldly definitions of division to divide people in the church should be horrifying to us. Any hint that some other group of believers in the church are looked down upon or classed as second-class Christians is to be utterly rejected. It's false. And where our own maturities differ in Christ, where our own experiences of of God and what he's done for us by his grace, where, where we have difference in those things, those things are to be celebrated and, and respected and honored as we celebrate and respect each other's authentic relationship with God, each other's authentic place in the church community, even when it, it differs from our own experience perhaps especially when it differs from our own experience. That's the headline message, really, of of this section. The first paragraph is is a bit of a headline to the theme. The last paragraph uh, is a bit of a closing summary. Uh, We're going to focus on the two middle paragraphs of the passage. They contain the two main areas of encouragement and challenge concerning our identity as the body of Christ. Now, a few years after the Titanic sank, uh, World War I broke out. And very soon, being part of the armed forces was no longer a voluntary affair. And this wonderful uh, poster came into being then uh, with uh, Lord General Kitchener, who was the Secretary of State for War. And uh, there with his wonderful moustache, you've probably seen posters and riffs on this poster before. He's looking you straight in the eye, and that's reinforced with his pointy finger. And he's saying, your country needs you. Well, for Christians, an even greater reason is given to commit to the common cause of the church. Uh, And we see that in our first point, which is this. Your church needs you. Your church needs you. This is an encouraging point, particularly for those of us who are tempted to feel that we don't truly belong in church. Maybe because we feel we're just too different to the other people we meet here. So verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So here we have uh, two examples of a similar thing. We've got one member of a body, so first of all, the, the foot, uh, maybe still not wanting to be too close to the action if we play with the body image here, maybe realizing that being a hand would be a bit more interesting, uh, even to the point of saying, you know, I, I don't think I'm really part of the body, I'm only a foot. I, I'm not really sort of one of the important parts. Maybe I'm not a part at all. Maybe I don't even belong here. And then in verse 16, we have an ear that thinks, because I'm not an eye, I can't belong to the body either, can I? I mean, I'm not like the eye, am I? As one writer puts it, ears that hear all the time about how beautiful the eyes are can quickly get the feeling that they're not important and the eyes are all important. Now, given that the body is a magnificent creation that works best when every part does its job, for one part to think that they don't belong is, is ludicrous, isn't it? Particularly if the reason that they give is, well, because I'm not another part. As verse 17 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And so on and so on. It's also a foolish way of thinking because of what we've already been told in the verses we looked at already about how this body came into existence. See, no matter who we are or how different we are as individuals, the Spirit has bound us together as church in one body. It's worth pausing at this stage and thinking about that process a bit more. How does somebody belong to the body, the church? Is everyone automatically a member of the body of Christ? In one sense, every Christian is a member of God's church. The church is the worldwide body of all true believers in Jesus Christ throughout the world and throughout all of history. But at the same time, God sovereignly ordains that Christians should gather together as local churches to be the body of Christ together in a given location. And so it's to local churches like ours, it's in local churches like ours, that we express all that the Bible teaches us about what it means to be the body of Christ, committed to one another. And so if you're a Christian today, if your faith is in Jesus and you have committed to this local church, then for you, your church needs you. You're part of the body here. You really are. If you're not sure on either of those things at the moment, your commitment to Jesus or to this local church, uh, we'd love to, to help you with any questions you have about those things. Do talk to somebody you know here about those things or speak to me if um, you're not sure who to talk to. We'd love to help you to follow Jesus first of all, to commit to him and then commit to a local body of his believers. And do keep listening, because what we find in these verses is a, a wonderful picture is painted for you of what church life is truly to be like. It shows us how attractive a church community should be. It should make us want to belong, to, to join it. 
Because in the church, no matter who we are, no matter how different we are, our common faith in Jesus, our common experience of God's Spirit means that we are bound together equally as members of one body, where each of us play a really, really important role. If any of us were not to play our role, then the body would suffer. So if you're a Christian who struggles to believe that your church needs you, then look with me at verse um, 18 for a second that says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, this truth crops up a few times in our passage. We've already seen how God the Spirit's been at work bringing people into the body of Christ. Here we read that God's put these Christians' parts in the body just where he wants them to be. Um, It's the same story down in verse 24 where it says, God has placed the body together. And also to introduce that last paragraph, verse 28, God has placed Can you see how God is in control here? He's sovereign over who he puts where in his church. If you're a member of our local church here, to say that you don't really belong is to deny that that God is sovereign, that he's wise, that he's actually placed you here for his glory, for your good. He's put you here. He wants you here until he clearly shows you otherwise. And so as one body, one body together, we're to help one another to move away from the, the thinking that says, well, because I don't have the same gift as that person or the same background or experience as that person, then I'm like the ear that says I'm not really part of the body. I don't really belong. No, God says you do belong. He's, he's placed you here very carefully. And we as a church are far worse without you and all that you bring to this family, with all that God has made you to be. Without you, we're like a, a body with a, a bit missing. Maybe at this point you think, well, okay, but I'm not sure how I can be of service in Christ church. What role could I play? Uh, If that's you, if you're not sure about those things, um, please don't let that stop you from getting stuck in. It's often in getting stuck in together that we find the answers to those questions together uh, about what our gifts are, how our experience can be helpful to the church family, and so on. So when you hear of needs in the church family, start meeting them. Start playing your part in the body where there's openings to do so. Come and chat to one of the leaders from the the staff or oversight teams and say, what needs doing? What what can I offer? And also don't underestimate the the part you play in the body by faithfully showing up to church each week, having those small conversations and words of encouragement and being a welcome and an encouragement to, to those around you as we gather. Don't underestimate the power of being part of a small and local group, meeting together with other Christians around God's Word. This is all the body of Christ in action. And yes, serving together in a team or a particular ministry area of Christ Church can be a great way to express 
what it is to be the body of Christ. But I think also it's often in the, the more informal and unexpected that we have great opportunities to express that, sometimes in, in deeper ways as church. Sometimes when we serve on a, a team or a rotor, we tick that week off and we convince ourselves that we've done our bit as part of the body for this week. Now, as great it is to serve in those ways, there's always going to be other opportunities coming our way to express who we really are in Christ. So, for example, picture this scene. Maybe you see someone in church and you know that they're finding life really hard at the moment. They're struggling or suffering for whatever reason. Maybe you you had just a brief chat with them one Sunday and you discovered some of this. I think it's at those times that we're often tempted to think, I don't really have anything to offer here. I don't think I should get involved. I'm not the right part of the body. In fact, I don't think I can help this person at all. Maybe I'm not really part of the body at all. I don't know them very well. I might say the wrong thing. I'm a bit busy too. I'm sure other people will be looking out for them. Let's not listen to the voice that says those things. If you're a Christian today, God has placed you and I here as part of this body. We're united to one another. We have responsibilities to one another as brothers and sisters. We do have a contribution to make. We're not free from one another, but that's a good thing, for we all need each other. At the end of the day, none of us is going to be the answer for what another member of the body needs. Only Jesus is who we all need to remember him, to be rooted in him, to live for him. But we can all point one another to him in a small way and maybe point one another to others who can help one another even more in different ways. We each have a part to play. Your church needs you. Well, secondly, in the next paragraph, we discover not just that your church needs you, but also that you need your church. Looking at verses 21 to 26, you need your church. Now, this point is a bit more of a challenge, particularly to those of us who are tempted to feel that we can generally get on fine in life without other people lending us a hand without other members of the body. Uh, If you don't think that you think like that, um, keep listening, because I think this paragraph challenges us more than we realize. So here in verse 21, the the complaints from the the parts of the body are, are different. These members are now saying, I don't need that member over there. I can manage just fine without them, thank you. But again, that's ludicrous. Paul responds with this image again. But the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nobody in the body of Christ can claim that they don't need another part of the body. Because each of our well-being depends on on the whole body. We, We need each other. Yes, even that person that you're thinking of now, even them. Yeah, we need each other. We've already seen in in 1 Corinthians how God wonderfully works through what seems to people like weakness. 
He works wonderful things through seemingly weak people, through a seemingly weak message, through seemingly weak churches. He chooses what the world thinks is foolish in order to shame the wise and make sure all the glory goes to him. And here in verse 22, it kind of builds on those things that we've been learning. We learn here that those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Notice they're not actually weaker. They just seem to be to us. So, the human body, to take this as an example, if we take a, a small flap of tissue about this size and we just take it out of context in the body, we could hold it up and look at it and think, this looks a bit weak, a bit in, insignificant, certainly not as impressive as a big brain and all that it can produce. But that little flap of tissue could have a really important part to play. It could be a heart valve. And if it doesn't play its part, then the whole body is at risk. The brain could not say to this little flap of tissue, I don't need you, because it does. And so again, in verse 24, we're reminded that it is God who has put the body Together, together being the important word in focus here. It's not good for parts of the body to be separate from each other or to divide from one another or to think that they can get on fine without one another. The world in various ways tells us that we can manage fine without others, particularly if you're a person that the world sees as being worthy of honor, an important person. So this was true in first century Corinth. Everybody knew who the important people were, those to look up to. And everybody knew who the unimportant people were as well, those to look down on for whatever reason. But the church is gloriously different. The body of Christ is wonderfully different. It is different. It should be different because of the transforming power of the gospel. So... The result of all this is that verse 23, the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Halfway through verse 24, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so all of this produces a community, a church family, where everybody shares honor the same. We are all in a place of equal honor. It should feel in the church that everybody is valued as much as everybody else, that everybody is as important as everybody else. Our church should ultimately reflect all what God has done in and through the gospel, how he saved all whose faith is in Jesus, regardless of their status in the world's eyes, and he's given them equal membership of his family. So let's guard against the values of the world becoming the values of our church. If we were congregating outside of Christ, we'd probably find ourselves wanting to group together with people in in this building who are most like us. 
And I think that's particularly true if the world says we're important people. Well, let's not do that because God has put this body together, each member worthy of equal honor. We're a wonderfully mixed group, and whatever the world says about honor and shame does not count for anything in here. And actually, together in our life together, as we practice these words together, we actually cause the world around us to be to be amazed at our unity and, and concern for one another. People ask, what is it that brings this group of people together? And not only brings them together, but in a way where they, they value each other the same. If we get that, ask that question, we need only point to Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich beyond all splendor, yet for our sakes, he, he became poor. He, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to make us uh, in part of God's family, to bring us to God with all the richness of Christ in us. God in Christ has shown equal concern for each of us. And so we, verse 25 should show equal concern for each other. You need your church. And this is not just a superficial unity. It's not something that we, we say just with our words. But it's to be lived out. It's to be experienced. So verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If I was hammering a nail one day and my hand slipped and instead of hammering the nail I hammered my finger, uh, I could describe what happened there in a couple of ways. Both would be true. I could say, I've hurt my finger. I could also say, I've hurt myself because as a whole I am hurting. The same is true of the church body. When one part of the church body suffers, every part suffers. The same goes for honor as well. So if you were to, uh, this summer, hear an amazing singer perform somewhere, at the end you might tell someone, oh, that person, what a great voice they had. But what you're really talking about, you're not just talking about their, their voice as if it was disconnected from them and floating around somewhere. Oh, look at their great voice, listen to their great voice. Really, you're saying, what a great singer that person is as a whole. In the same way, the church body is so connected. If one part suffers, we all suffer. If, if one part is honored, everyone rejoices with that part. Earlier, we thought about how a church loses out when a member doesn't feel that they belong or have anything to offer. We've seen that that's not true. But here's another way in which church loses out. It loses out when a member or some members feel that they're superior to others. Maybe they're gifted in an area that lots of people can see. It's very public. Maybe they've become quite convinced of their own importance to the church body, but they're becoming less convinced about other people's importance to the body. 
Well, brothers and sisters, we cannot say to anyone in the body, I don't need you. We should never give the impression that a member does not belong in the same way as somebody else does or, or as you as an individual do. Be that because they don't share your background or gifts or experience or even your level of spiritual maturity. After all, what do any of us have that hasn't come as a gift from God? There is no room for boasting, no room for limiting our circle and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll depend on these people, but I don't really think those others have got anything to offer me. Let's examine our hearts and see, is there a hint of an attitude that says, in this church, I'm more important than that group of people or that person. That attitude is, well, it's like a disease in the body, isn't it? It stops the body functioning as it was intended to do. It comes close to denying who we truly are before God. So let's not say with words or with actions to any brother or sister, I don't need you. Let's not be self-sufficient claiming to manage fine on our own. The, the gospel tells us that we can't manage fine on our own. We, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ has said, you're in my body, you need one another. Let's be truly interdependent. God has put us together to depend on one another as part of the body of Christ. One practical way I think we could do this more is by encouraging one another with our words. I think in particular we could show appreciation for one another more. So expressing some of this truth that we've seen here that we we need one another. That would be good to express more, I think. So maybe if you're chatting with another member of the church family and, uh, and they say something that you found helpful or, or maybe they offer to help you with something, instead of saying, no, thank you, why not say yes? Or why not say to them, I'm, I'm so glad you, you said that. I, I really needed to hear that. Thank you for that offer of help. Yes, I'll say yes to it. Thank you. In fact, you've got a real gift of God there that's really helping build us up as a church family. Do use that more. Let me encourage you to use that gift more. It's really helpful for us as a church. Let's catch ourselves and one another saying things like that in the coming days, weeks, months. Your church needs you and you need your church. And in the concluding paragraph, Paul makes abundantly clear what he's been saying already. So verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So we, the, the people of God in a particular place, are the body of Christ. God has placed us here in this one local body and we're connected to one another and connected to Christ. He is the head, we are his body. And so no matter what the world says about any status that we do or don't have, we together are the body of Christ. That's an incredible honor. Each of us share in that. And so we don't dishonor one another because that would bring 
dishonor to Christ. But we do glorify Christ in the way we suffer together, the way we rejoice together. And as this paragraph goes on to hint at, in the way we, we worship together, and the way we order church life together as well, the way we appreciate the gifts we've each been given. Uh, the rest of this last paragraph talks about the gifts God has placed in the church that are needed to uh, establish a church and to build up a church in Christ. It's no coincidence that Paul lists tongues or languages last of all, um, that gift was becoming a bit of a status symbol in Corinth. It was becoming a divisive matter. So as far as Paul is concerned, it can get firmly to the back of the queue for now. The church is to prioritize what God prioritizes for its own good, for its own health. And so it's almost as if before Paul talks more about spiritual gifts and goes on to instruct the church in them in chapter 14... He wants the church, he wants us to know a couple of things. He wants us to know that this couple of things are of greater importance than acquiring certain gifts or manifesting certain gifts in the life of the church. So this week we've seen one of these two important things that he wants us to know before we look at those gifts. He wants us to know, first of all, that we, the church, are the body of Christ. We can all say to one another, I need you and you need me. And next week we'll see, we'll discover that there's an even greater priority for us. A most excellent way of being church together. But for now, let's not wait for times of crisis to practice being the body of Christ. Because by God's grace, that is truly who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your clear word. Thank you for the encouragement that has flowed from it to our hearts, the challenge that has come from it to our hearts. Lord, may we not leave this place unchanged, uh, but Lord, more aware of who we are as the body of Christ. Lord, may we be that bit more better at living out who we are uh, in different ways. Lord, please lead and guide us. Please help us to appreciate one another. Please uh, Lord, help us to remember that you have placed us here uh, so that we might build one another up for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.